Ephesians chapter 3. We're continuing our journey through the Bible presently here in the third chapter of Ephesians. And tonight we will be studying uh, the entire chapter, chapter 3 of Ephesians. And so we encourage you to be with us this evening and join with us as we journey together through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I'd like to draw your attention to verse 20 this morning, where Paul declares, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Paul has just shared with the Ephesians the things that he was praying for them. Uh, basically, three major things that Paul was praying for the Ephesian church. Things that he was asking God to do for them, which if you look at them carefully, were really impossible things. First of all, he prayed that God would grant to them according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. May God strengthen you with his might by his spirit in the inner man. The Bible tells us that the Lord knows our frame, that we are but dust. It's too bad we don't recognize that more often. Uh, sometimes we think of ourselves sort of as super, uh, super saints, men of steel and whatever, and uh, sort of impervious to the attacks of the enemy. And he oftentimes catches us off guard because of overconfidence on our part. Strengthened in the inner man by his spirit. None of us are as strong as we would like to be or as we think we are. Have you ever failed? Have you ever been disappointed in yourself? Have you ever asked yourself, how could I have done that? Really sort of surprised at what you did, thinking that you were above that? There are always, it seems, those times when we become conscious of our weaknesses, especially at the times of failure. And it is at that time that uh, we need to be strengthened by his might and by his spirit in our inner man. What is the answer to our weakness? His strength. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. The second thing he was asking God for the Ephesian church was that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith, that they being rooted and grounded in his love might be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Now that's an interesting request. I want you to know something. I'm praying that you will know something that passes knowledge. That you'll know something that is unknowable. And truly, 
the vastness of God's love, the length, the breadth, the depth, the height, is something that we cannot comprehend or understand. So vast. And yet Paul is praying that they might come to know these very things that are unknowable. I think of the words of that song, The Love of God, that fourth stanza. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every blade of grass a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The vastness of God's love, the fullness of God's love, the length, the breadth, the depth, the height. Paul's praying, I want you to know this, to have this knowledge that passes human knowledge. And of course, it is only by the Spirit that we can come to comprehend how much God does love you. Overwhelming. Lord, help them to know just how much you do love them. That they might be rooted and grounded in this love. Last week in chapter 2, we pointed out uh, that uh, in the ages to come, God will be revealing unto us the exceeding richness of his mercies and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The mercies, the kindness, the love of God, so vast that it will take all eternity to reveal the vastness of of God's love for you and for me. It's rather sad and yet interesting. After Paul had prayed that they might be filled with this knowledge of God's love, 30 years later, through the Apostle John, Jesus was addressing the church of Ephesus this same church that Paul was praying that they might be filled with God's love, the fullness of God and to know his love. 30 years later, as Jesus is writing to it, his complaint was, you have left your first love. Oh, they still had activities, they still had spiritual gifts, but they had left the most important thing of all, that first love. And, of course, uh, Jesus said that uh, unless they repented and went back to that first love, he would remove his presence from that church. The Lord doesn't want to stick around a church where there is fighting and bickering. He lives in an environment of love. Finally, he is praying that they would be filled with the fullness of of God. Speaking of the vastness of God, when Solomon had built the temple and they came to the day of dedication, 
Solomon acknowledged the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that we have built. Lord, we're not of the mistaken notion that you can be confined to this building. The universe itself isn't large enough to hold you. The heavens of heaven cannot contain you. How much less this small building that we have put up here in Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah declares concerning God that he measures the heavens with his span. In those days, they didn't have Stanley rulers, uh, but they would build using their bodies for uh, dimensions. A span would be the distance between the tip of the thumb and the tip of the little finger, approximately six and a half inches. The cubit was the difference between the length between the elbow and the fingers. And, and thus when they would build it was be by spans and by cubits. And so in looking at this vast universe, which our astronomers tell us is some 17 billion light years in diameter, diameter you say, well, how big is 17 uh, billion light years? Well, ask God, and he'll tell you, well, it's about a span, you know. <laughs> Fullness of God. The universe cannot contain him, and yet he is praying that they might be filled with the fullness of God. How in the world can that be? How could that possibly be? That I might be filled with the fullness of God. No wonder when he came to the end of the prayer, he said, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Only God can do that. Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so, having offered these prayers, he then looks to God's abilities. He is able to do exceeding abundantly. It's so important when you pray to recognize that God is able. You cannot think, you cannot ask of something that is greater or beyond God's ability to meet in your life. It's important to recognize God's ability whenever we pray. It's interesting when we pray and we are looking at our problems or our situations, we have in our minds a rating scale. We say, well, this is fairly simple. Well, this is difficult. Well, this is rather hard. And, oh, that's impossible. And unfortunately, so often when we pray, we carry that same rating schedule over to God. If it's simple for us, we figure, well, that's simple for God. And so uh, we can get by with a casual prayer. Because, oh, that's very simple. If God doesn't do it, I can probably work it out. And, and so our prayers are prone to be casual. If it's 
difficult for us, well, that takes a little bit stronger prayer. Uh, This is really a real problem. I don't know exactly. Oh, I could probably figure it out. But uh, my prayer needs to be a little stronger on these difficult situations. If it's a hard situation, oh my, I might even fast and pray. And uh, this takes really intercessory prayer. Uh, This takes uh, effectual, fervent prayer because this is really hard. If it's impossible, why do you even pray about it? I mean, can't do it. You know you you can't do it. And, And it's interesting how that we sort of carry this rating over to God as though something is hard for God or something is difficult for God or something is impossible for God. To Jeremiah, he said, I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? And of course, the answer is no. There's nothing that is too hard for him. You see, difficulty always has to be measured by the capacity of the agent that is doing the work. Recently, we've remodeled our sanctuary, and uh, was it difficult? Well, if we had brought in a bunch of French poodles and had them try to do it for us, it would have been impossible. But we had skilled men, tradesmen, and uh, they could take the plans and they could follow the plans. And uh, it wasn't really hard or difficult because of their capacities and their abilities. So when God is the agent that is doing the work, any talk of difficulty is absurd. Behold, I am God. Is there anything too hard for me? It's interesting that those men in the Bible who really accomplished great exploits for the Lord were men who were confident that God was able. Knowing their own inability... They had great confidence in the ability of God. And that's so important for you. So many times we look at our own weakness and our own abilities and we sort of falter rather than looking at God and at his ability. When Nebuchadnezzar was king in Babylon and he had had a dream interpreted by Daniel that declared in the dream, figuratively, that the Babylonian Empire was going to fall to the Medo-Persian Empire, which would in turn fall to the Grecian Empire, which would fall to the Roman Empire. Because the empires were sort of figured in a big idol with a head of gold and a chest of silver, stomach of brass, and legs of iron, uh, he had a great image made and placed in the plains of Dura of gold, all gold. It was in defiance of the word of God. The image of all gold was saying Babylon will live forever. 
Babylon will never fall. It will never be changed. And having made this symbol of the invincibility of Babylon, he commanded that the orchestras sound up the music, and when they did, everyone was to bow and worship this image, the image of the invincibility of Babylon, never fall. And so when the music sounded, three boys, Hebrew boys, failed to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And it was reported to Nebuchadnezzar that these three boys would not bow when the music sounded. And he was furious. He called them in. And he said, I'll give you one more chance. I'm going to let the music sound again. And you better bow or else you will be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. And what God can deliver you out of my hand? And they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not even careful how we answer you in this matter. The God that we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand. The God that we serve is able. You see, they had that confidence in the ability of God. He can deliver us out of your hand. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we still won't burn. But they had the awareness, God is able. And of course, we know the story. God did deliver them out of the burning, fiery furnace. Later on in his career, as he was becoming so proud, Babylon was a fabulous city, the hanging gardens of Babylon, the huge walls that surrounded the city and all. And it did seem to be invincible. And as he was bragging about all that he had done, the Lord warned him through Daniel, walk softly. Be careful about bragging. Be careful about pride. And so he, he did pretty good for a while, but we read that he was out and he was looking at the beautiful hanging gardens. And he said, is this not the great Babylon that I have made? And the voice came, you've had it, man. And he went insane. And he became like an animal. He was out in the field with the cattle eating grass and just a madman lost his Senses completely until seven seasons had passed over. And then his sanity was returned. And when his sanity was returned, we find that Nebuchadnezzar uh, then acknowledged that there was no God uh, like the God of uh, Daniel, the king of heaven, whose works are true, his ways are just. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. He discovered that. God was able to abase him, make him a madman because of his walking in pride. Still later in the book of Daniel, the Medes and the Persians have now conquered the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel has favor with the leaders of the Medo-Persian Empire. 
Such favor that he was made sort of second man to the king. But this caused the other leaders to become jealous of him, conspiring against him, knowing he was such a spiritual man that he had such a life of prayer. They snookered the king into signing an ordinance that for a period of 30 days, no one could make a petition or a prayer to anyone other than the king, playing upon his uh, egocentricity. The king signed the order, not knowing that he was being hoodwinked. But Daniel, the man of God, as was his custom, he went home to noon at noon to pray, which was his custom. And rather than shutting himself off in a closet, he left the doors open and the windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed unto the Lord and these fellows waiting outside, hearing him pray, ran to tell the king, there's a man who has defied this ordinance. And so the penalty was to be cast into the lion's den. And the king sought all day long to find some loophole in the law, but there was none. So as Daniel was being prepared to be cast into the lion's den, the king was encouraging him and uh, totally upset. In fact, he couldn't sleep that night. Early in the morning, he went running out to the lion's den and he called down and it says in a lamentable voice, he said, Daniel, is the God that you serve able to deliver you? And Daniel said, yes, king. The Lord came, an angel, and he shut the lion's mouth, and I'm fine. And so Daniel was brought up. But the question, is the Lord that you serve able to deliver you? Answer, yes. He was able to deliver me. When the Pharisees came to John, as he was baptizing, so proud of their Jewish heritage, John said to them, you generation of snakes, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruit that demonstrated, or that or demonstrates that you have repented, and don't say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I say unto you that God is able to turn these stones into children of Abraham. Nothing too hard for God. He is able, John said, to even turn these stones into children of Abraham. Paul, speaking about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, said that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Know that. The exceeding rich and precious promises that God has given to us in the Bible. What he has promised, he is able also to perform. Paul told the Philippians that when Christ came for us, he would change our vile bodies that they might be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. The day is coming 
when the Lord will subdue, he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Writing to Timothy, Paul said, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day or until that day. Paul was facing his trial before Nero. Things were not good. It was more or less the sentencing. And he was writing, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, our righteous judge, shall give, but not to me only, but to all those that love his appearing. But I've committed my life. I've committed myself to him. And I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. I know that he is able. In Hebrews 2.18, it tells us because Jesus went through trials of suffering, he is able to help those who are suffering. Jesus suffered. He knew what it was to suffer in order that he might be able to understand your suffering and to help you in the time and in the place where you are suffering. In Hebrews 7.25, it tells us that he is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by him. The worst sinner who has ever lived, who has committed the most heinous crimes that you can imagine, is not beyond the reach of salvation. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save all who will come unto God by him. And finally, Jude tells us, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Able to keep you from falling. I've had people say, well, you know, I don't want to become a Christian because I just don't think I can hang on. I don't want to start something and, and drop out. And I don't feel that I, I could really live the Christian life. It isn't something that you can do by your own effort. But he is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. And so, what is he able to do? Well, he's able to deliver you from the deepest trials, from the burning fiery furnaces or the lion's den. He's able to abase you if you have become proud. He's able to turn stones into children of Abraham. He is able to perform the things that he has promised that he would do. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. He's able to keep that which you've committed until that glorious day. 
He is able to comfort you when you are going through suffering because he understands that. And he's able to save to the uttermost if you will just come to him. He's able then to keep you from falling and to present you one day faultless before the presence of the glory of his Father with exceeding joy. Are you going through a trial, sorrow, pain? He's able to give you joy. Does your life seem like it's falling apart? He's able to put it together again. He's able to give you beauty for your ashes and the oil of gladness for your sorrow. He's able to carry your heavy load. He's able to lift you out of your despair and depression. He is able to free you from that power of sin that is holding you as a slave. He is able to do what you have written off as impossible. He is able. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. How wonderful to serve such a God. Father, we thank you that you are indeed able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so, Lord, we look at our lives and we look at the situations that we're facing. We look at the problems. We look at the things that look impossible for us. But we rejoice in that, Lord, you are able. And as we commit, then, these things to you, we rejoice that you are able to keep that which we have committed until that glorious day. And so, Father, I pray that today those that are going through the various trials, perhaps... The marriages look impossible at this point. Things are going to pieces. The job is folding. The uncertainty of the futures. Lord, we thank you that you're able. As we commit these things to you, you're able. And help us, Lord, to just put our faith and trust in you today to work out these situations that look to us impossible. Work them out, Lord, for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand? The pastors are down here at the front to minister to you today who are going through difficult times. God's able to take care of you. All you have to do is commit it to Him. And they're here to help you to, to develop this relationship with God and this confidence that what you are needing today, God is able to work out for you. So I would encourage you, come on down and just turn it over to the Lord today and let God handle these things for you.
that you might come next Sunday just rejoicing with the testimony saying, you know, last Sunday when I was here, oh, man, I just thought it was, but you know what God has done this week? And, and just to see, give him a chance. Open the door for him to work in your life that you might rejoice in what God will do. For he is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ask or all that you think.